going on everyone? Ray Woodson here from The Pit. Some people have a man cave, we've got a pit. Better than Norm Ellenberger's pit, I can tell you that. Nicer place. It's where we're immersed in baseball on a weekly basis. A chance to get away from the everyday pressures. And don't we need that more than ever nowadays? So that's why we're here. I figured I'd be back talking Giants baseball somehow. So here's how. The folks at Blue Wire Network asked if I'd jump on for this podcast. I said, twist my arm. I'm already talking about the Giants on Twitter. Might as well do it on a podcast. Said I'd love to. So first of all, Triple's Alley Report is the name. We're going to talk Giants and Major League Baseball. We're going to talk to players. We're going to talk to coaches, broadcasters. And eventually, we're going to chat with you. We have the technology. Triple's Alley Report is the name. Why? Well, it's a defining aspect of AT&T Park. You know we're talking Giants baseball. It's a benefit if you're a pitcher, not so much if you're a hitter, not so much if you're a team trying to get a free agent slugger, as Brian Sabian could tell you, and in fact did a few days ago. We know Derek Rodriguez likes it, and we're going to hear from one of the bright spots of the season coming up in just a few minutes. Here's the deal. I did Giants post-game shows on the Giants flagship station starting in 2005 on an every-game basis a few years later. Covered the biggest moments in San Francisco Giants history, well, at least most of them, certainly in this century. Some call me the voice of reason. Some thought I was a homer. Others thought I was too harsh on the team. So maybe I was doing my job. I don't know. It was hard not to be harsh on the team in 2017. 2018, better, not good enough. The Giants didn't tear down the house, didn't go all Chip and Joanna Gaines after a 64-98 season. Some pundits think they should have, that they missed an opportunity. They made a run at Giancarlo Stanton. I thought, why not? Though nobody believed he would come here, and I probably didn't either. They beefed up a bad lineup with guys like McCutcheon and Longoria, past their primes, but hopefully still an upgrade. Not enough. Watching the Giants now is like waiting for Krampus during the Yuletide season. If you know your Central European folklore, you know all about Krampus. He is the semi-demonic figure that tries to penalize or punish misbehaving children during the Yuletide season. Baseball Krampus goes after teams that don't hit and whose bullpens blow games late because they don't add on. And baseball Krampus has been getting after the Giants lately and probably will for the rest of the month. Uh, If I could do another analogy, the Giants were a middle-aged crisis guy this year. They've got some cash. They got the used Porsche. Tried to date much younger women. Last swing at glory. No play for Mr. Gray. The three teams ahead of them right now in the National League West, the Diamondbacks, the Dodgers, and Rockies, have more young, more athletic talent. Same with the Cubs, same with the Braves, the Phillies, the Astros, the Yankees, the A's, the Indians, so on and so on. The championship era is done. It's going to be at least a couple of years before the Giants are contenders again. So why am I starting a podcast now at the end of a season where they're going to finish under 500 again? Because I believe this is a critical moment that will set the course for this franchise in the next five to seven seasons. But opinions vary on how they get back to being contenders, and that's what this offseason intrigue is going to be all about. But here's the quick answer. The Giants will not rebuild. They will not rebuild. They will retool. The Giants feel the pressure to fill the seats with a large season ticket base, so they feel like they have to sell hope, whatever it may be. Uh, You can only have so many games where you're giving away bobbleheads. I'd be interested to see what their marketing surveys tell them, by the way. Do they fear that games are going to have nothing but seagulls showing up if they go total rebuild? Or are there now, thanks to success they've had, and thanks to the stadium, enough fans are going to show up anyway that are loyal no matter what? And what are the season ticket holders telling them? I don't know, but 
I know what Father Time is saying. Father Time is saying it's time to reset. Your core position players are in their 30s. Buster Posey has had hip surgery. Brandon Crawford is 31. He's dealing with some aches and pains, including his knees. Evan Longoria is signed through, wait for it, 2022. Yikes. Brandon Belt is 30 and has missed a lot of games in the last few years. Some of that not his fault, but that's the fact of the matter. The team has marketed the hell out of these guys, and why wouldn't you after three World Series championships? But Brian Sabian, Executive Vice President of Baseball Operations, now saying that they're open to some major changes in the offseason, but a total rebuild would be unlikely. And there are a few reasons. He mentioned the fan base that expects winning. Also, the Giants have had a few bad contracts that can't be unloaded. Jeff Samarjas, for example, it's been a lost year for him. they got to keep going with him. They're probably not going to be able to showcase him at the end of the year. And what do you showcase anyway with that much money left, that much meat on the bone? And there's this. Sabian looked at this as a building block year anyway. If they finish 500, it's a 17-game improvement in a year with a ton of injuries. But I got a feeling they're not going to see anywhere near 500 again. Remember how we used to joke about the Giants being at 500 22, 23 times this year? Ah, those were good memories. I don't think they're going to see 500 again. They're middle in the pack in the National League in terms of days lost to injury. But there have been some impactful ones. You know, you can talk about days lost, but which days lost? Whose days are lost? I mean, Buster Posey, Jeff Samarja, Johnny Cueto, Tommy John surgery, Brandon Belt, and Joe Panic have been gone for big chunks of the season. We all know about the Hunter Strickland story, Madison Bumgarner at the end of spring training. Those are very impactful injuries. The Giants would have had to be very fortunate with injuries to contend. I thought, you know, maybe 85 wins if everything breaks their way. And they're on the cusp of the wild card. But no margin for error not to be. But they have found out a few things about players that maybe they wouldn't have otherwise. Frankly, I'd rather have the success and wait to find out something about some players. But hey, Derek Rodriguez is on the scene. Andrew Suarez. Chris Stratton. Roller coaster ride, but seems to be on the upswing now. Reyes Maranta has done a great job this year. Let things get away last night, but probably a little bit gassed after a long season. Will Smith doing a decent job as closer. Second best ERA in the National League since June 1st, last time I checked. They've got arms, so you've got something to build on there going into next season. However, to paraphrase Cameron and Ferris Bueller's day off, they can't hit, they can't hit, they can't hit, they can't hit, they can't hit. Swing better, they can't hit. They didn't hit in the spring, they didn't hit in the summer, they're not going to hit in the fall. They don't hit with a fox in a box or a mouse in a house. They just don't hit. In fact, Brian Sabian says it's amazing how inept they are. Among other things, they don't have a nose for the RBI. They don't have a bat for the RBI, an ear for the RBI, or an eye for the RBI. It's one reason, by the way, that the bullpen leads the majors in blown saves. They just don't add on to the narrow leads they have. No margin for error. But they've got those arms, and more to come. Watch out for Sean Anderson, obtained from the Red Sox in the Eduardo Nunez deal last year, has pitched very well for Sacramento of late. If you're the Giants front office, you're looking at that and saying, okay, we've always been predicated in our successful years on pitching and defense. We've got a full year of Bumgarner hopefully coming up in a contract year. Can we go young, add a middle-of-the-order bat, and compete next year? But you don't know for sure that Buster Posey's going to be ready behind the plate. If he is, that's a big key. But I'd imagine that Buster Posey's days of catching a large number of games are dwindling. And last, last year... Last couple of years, you've seen the signs with the concussion risks. Can you go forward with one more full season Posey catching where he's definitely at his most valuable? 
A lot of questions going into this offseason, again, critical questions that I think are going to steer the course of this franchise for the next five to seven years. If the Giants are to move forward, I believe they're going to have to trade as well as develop. Then you have to ask, what do they have to trade? Well, Madison Bumgarner is going to be 30 next year. He's looking at a big payday coming up. He's been a major, major bargain, and there's a team option for 2019. Well, some team out there that's going to be a contender next year looking at a pitcher who's still pretty good, but whose peripheral numbers are in decline, and they're going to say, hell yeah, we'll take him for a spin, at least on a short-term deal. You have to consider it. There's no indication the Giants are going to do that yet, and if they are somehow able to find another bat through free agency, they won't. But the odds on that, not good. Fact is, they might not be able to take a step to the next phase without a major deal that brings in younger talent. And that's the long-term prognosis. The Giants are looking at 2019 right now. My dad used to say short-term thinking gets you into trouble. And I think in the Giants' case, that may be true because long-term, it could be even more pain. But as far as 2019 is concerned, you could make an argument. Okay, we've got the arms, and if Bumgarner's right, he's a bona fide ace. And, and maybe we make a deal or two, if not in the offseason, by the trade deadline. Or the other side of the coin. You could get a haul for Bumgarner now without having to sign him to a giant contract when he's in his 30s. And, I, you know, I react to giant contracts for pitchers in their 30s like I used to react to lima beans when I was a kid. Automatic revulsion. I just wince at the thought of it. Even somebody as sturdy as Bumgarner has been, you know, the freak injuries notwithstanding. You could also see a Brandon Belt or Joe Panic trade. What else? Well, there aren't a lot of major minor league deals that we could see. I mean, Joey Bart? No, they're not going to trade him. Elliot Ramos? No. And of course, you don't trade for the sake of trades. I've never heard a general manager say, yeah, I'm kind of feeling trade-ish today. Haven't done one in a while. It depends on the offer. And the Giants may say, hey, we're going to give Bumgarner a spin. Maybe he's still good and we're still good. And we don't consider a deal till the trade deadline next year. We can pitch. We can play defense. Maybe we've got a leadoff man and center fielder for the future in Duggar. By the way, another injury, just had surgery. We have a possible lefty power hitter in Chris Shaw, but, I mean, we've seen this movie before, haven't we? A lot of fans are thinking, yeah, it could also be Todd Linden or Damon Minor or John Bowker. You hope not, but this is a guy who strikes out a ton and wants to cut down on those Ks. Maybe it'll just take one corner outfielded bat, but that's a lot of maybes. The Giants have put themselves in a corner with some heavy contracts, some bad decisions, and some bad luck. They're not going to tank. Some teams in Major League Baseball doing that now. They don't have a lot of trade pieces. They're kind of in the worst place. Getting old, mediocre to poor, and it may be a couple of years before real talent arrives. By that time, Bumgarner may be gone. Buster Posey at first base, and your all-star shortstop will be 33 or 34. These are things you have to think about. And that's why, at least for now, you've got to see what you have in your farm system, whatever it is. Whenever you have a chance, play a youngster. And that includes uh, Abiatal Avellino, the shortstop obtained from the Yankees, along with pitcher Jose DePaula in the Andrew McCutcheon deal. By the way, it would not be a, a bad idea, a terrible idea to bring McCutcheon back. Of course, it depends on the money. Not as a middle-of-the-order guy next year, but as a guy who did a decent job in right field and can bring a little pop that maybe uh, the minor league system isn't going to bring for you. But that, that would, cannot be the major deal that they make in the offseason. So that's, that's where we begin with the Triple Sally Report. A lot of variables out there. A lot of ifs and ands and buts. If ifs and buts were candy and nuts, what a Merry Christmas it will be. What are the Giants going to look like by Christmas? We'll be talking about it coming up. 
In the meantime, let's talk about the present as well as the future. We're chatting with Giants pitcher Derek Rodriguez, and uh, first of all, start of the year, mm-hmm. did you think you were going to be Giants pitcher Derek Rodriguez and Giants starting pitcher Derek Rodriguez this soon? Uh, no, not this soon. Um, I mean, I came in in camp, you know, new to the team, so I was just trying to fit in and everything. Um, and, I mean, even for the, in the offseason, they told me I was going to come in as a relief pitcher, so... Um, yeah, I mean, being here so quick and, and as a starter, is it's, it's a quick turnaround. What is the adjustment as far as your approach, your mindset from being a reliever to a starter, and, and how did that go? Obviously, in the field, the results are pretty good mm-hmm. so far. I mean, I, I feel like uh, as a starter, you have uh, you got five days to kind of mentally prepare yourself. Um, as a reliever, you got to be mentally prepared every day to go out there and, and, and at least pitch an inning or two. So... Um, I feel like that's the difference. So, like, I mean, in between probably workouts and all that stuff change a little bit. And, and you're going over a lot of scouting reports, mm-hmm. of course, uh, during that time, uh, and maybe more so than you'd have time to do as, mm-hmm. as a reliever. So, I mean, does that help you in approaching these hitters? It does. It does. Um, like, even now I, I get the last game of the series, so I have the privilege of watching, you know, our pitchers three games before I have to go out there and, and, and battle it out. But, um yeah, I mean, as a as a as a as a starter, I mean, you got you got the the scouting report for the first time through the lineup, so you get to kind of get to set the tone. Um, and as a reliever, you got to come in in the game. You know, if if the starter did a really good job throwing inside, you got the outside part of the plate. If not, you know, you gotta try and figure it out a little bit. So, but that's I feel like that's the main difference. I know you've joked about Buster puts down the signs and you just, yeah, just you, but you understand catchers better than probably a lot of people do mm-hmm. because your dad was a catcher in the Hall of Fame now. Is there something that sticks with you that he said as far as approaching hitters that you use now? I mean, I just, just attacking them, honestly. It's it's very, un- I mean, even me as a hitter, when I was a hitter, I was very uncomfortable when I was behind an account. You know, when when the guy got a, a, a quick strike on me or, or two quick strikes on me, it, it changes the whole at-bat. You know, you go from being um, offensive to kind of being defensive up there. You know, you got to try and protect the plate more so you, you don't get to put your the strongest swing. So, I mean, that's all he ever, like, that he's told me that stuck with me. They just attack him and, and make him uncomfortable, and that's what I try and do. You don't mess around either. I mean, you don't take much time between pitches. Is that part of the attack no, yeah. a- attack mode too? Yeah, yeah. Don't don't give them that much time to, to think, you know, in between pitches. So, I mean, I throw the – even for me too, it doesn't give me that much time to think in between pitches. So I just grab the ball, you know, um, grab the ball, Buster puts down the sign or hundo, and, you know, just throw it without trying to – think about or anything just let my body take over and go from there i mean the results have been great so far this mm-hmm. year and it, i mean was there a point where you said yeah i belong here or did you always believe that i mean i feel like deep down inside you always believe in yourself you know but it's it's nice to have that reassurance when you come out here and and and, and you throw games and you put up numbers against these you know elite athletes so um it's it's more of a reassurance thing when 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 you've been up here for this long and 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 throwing well so um you know i don't try and let it get to my head i just trying to work hard every day and keep getting better yeah it didn't start out this way i mean being a pitcher uh mm-hmm. did you no. did you see yourself as, as a pitcher you see yourself as another position player when when it all started out i mean back then i, I saw myself as a as a position player um but you know, lately, past couple of years, um, 
I started clicking when I first started pitching. You know, I liked it, and I still like it. I still love it. Um, but I'm saying, like, back then it was, you know, I, I really didn't have a, a, a problem switching from outfield to pitcher. Um, it was always something that I liked. It was, you know, it was, fu it was fun and um, just putting in all the, all the work and all that stuff um, to get to the point that I am now and getting comfortable with my mechanics and all that stuff. So it was a long, long road. What's fun about it? I mean, honestly, you control the game. That's, that's that's what's fun. You control the game. You you set the you set the tone. You know, you set the tone. There's there's no baseball until you throw the ball. You know, so, and and that aspect, I feel like you know you control what happens. You 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 control the pace of the game. You control, you know, how the batter feels and and how your teammates you know play behind you because it's very hard to get. Um, good plays done behind you if you're very slow and very, you know, so if you get a good pace going and you get the guys moving, so that's when good plays come. Yeah, they're on their toes. Yeah. Has your outlook toward the next few years shifted dramatically this year because of everything that's happened? It's like now, I mean, you're a central part of this rotation. Yeah, no, I mean, not really. I just I just try and, you know, take it day by day, just concentrate on what we have to do this year um and even tonight what we have to do tonight to to win this game um but i, I mean i'm sure during the off season it'll, it'll switch a little bit i'll start thinking more of of stuff you know um looking for apartments and 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 all that stuff for for next year but i mean it, it, it is a little reassuring was there something your dad used to say to you when you were a kid or a teenager growing up and you kind of rolled your eyes and now you're saying, oh, well, you know, he knew what he was talking about. I'm pretty sure everything my dad <laughs> told me when growing up, I used to roll my eyes. But uh, um, no, but I know I know everything they, my parents have done for me. It's just because they love me and they know I could do better. So, you know, back then. Back then, I might have seen it a different way, but now looking back at it, I mean, it's, it's helped me out a lot. So, And seeing what your dad experienced, I mean, you, you get the attention and the adulation, but also the criticism. Mm -hmm. I mean, how did that hit you as a kid, and how did you process it? I mean, I knew it was part of the game. Yeah, I mean, from a very young age, that I knew that, I mean, it could be one way or the other, you know? Uh, but, you know, I just saw the way he handled it, and, you know, it, it kind of helped me also now um, how to handle all this. So, I mean, it's helped me out a lot, and that's, that's part of the game. That's the game that, we, that, we, that we're in right now. It's been a great year for you so far. I mean, going to the future, are you looking at maybe adding to your repertoire or just refining what you've got? Because what you've got's pretty good so far. Yeah, I mean, I, I, right now I don't need to change anything. I just, you know, just perfect and and keep working on what I got. And in the future, if if I feel like one, something has isn't clicking and I have to change something else, I change it. So I'll just I'll start working on something new when I have to. But you know, like they say, don't don't fix it if it isn't broken so well that, that uh, breaking pitch isn't broken that's for sure when did oh, when yeah. did you know because you have great belief in that pitch yeah. when did you know hey this is something that i can really which one my curveball yeah your curveball um i want to say it was probably like two years ago actually it was it was before the 2017 season so yeah like a year and a half ago and winter ball was playing and I mean, I started gripping my curveball a certain way because it wasn't it was it was more like a loop, just very loopy. Um, and then I started gripping it a different way, and I just started I just started throwing it as hard as I can. That's, I was like, you know what? Let's 
just do it do it this way or whatever and it was you know it was getting really good results it was nasty and um, the pitching coaches and stuff were telling me that it's a really good pitch. I just stuck with it, you know, and then I showed up last year to camp in, in the Twins organization, and, I mean, it was very effective, and I just stuck with it ever since. And, you know, just, I just got the confidence that I could throw it in any count. So that's why I feel like it's, it's that good because it's just the confidence. Are you into spin rates and all that? No, 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 no. I'm, I'm, I'm more of an old-school player, okay. you know. Back then there wasn't no spin rate or – or anything last back then it was just how many innings how many strikeouts and how many you know uh games you've you've uh you've started or pitched but uh but now there's so much all these numbers that they throw at you and stuff like that if you think about every all that stuff you probably go crazy so yeah. i mean i just concentrate on on how i feel and you know release and all that stuff and i feel comfortable from there too many blisters when you start thinking about spin yeah, rates exactly exactly so yeah, you just get out there and throw the ball because that's what you can control exactly, during the game exactly that's that's what i can control i can control how if i could put more or less spin rate on the ball so just keep it so far so good derek continued success thank you thank you so much Here's what I love about Derek Rodriguez. He works fast. He doesn't mess around. He gets ahead of hitters. He's pretty unflappable. And he can get better. What I like is he's able to adjust in-game because, you know, the scouting reports are out there. Try to ambush him because he's throwing first-pitch strike. And he's done a pretty good job of adjusting and changing sequences with the help of Buster Posey, of course, and last night Nick Hundley. Very solid, matching Herman Marquez of the Rockies, who's been striking everybody out. Rodriguez is not phased by the moment. He's got that pedigree, and I think he's a guy the Giants have a reasonable expectation in 2019 will be a middle-of-a-rotation starter. They're going to need it with Johnny Cueto out. All right, a couple of few facts, fun facts for you before we go out the door. Well, I don't know how fun they are. They aren't hanging from the chandelier at the club fun, but I can say that they're more fun than a game of Jenga. I can say that with reasonable certainty. You know, when we grew up, we'd check the box score in a thing called a newspaper. Uh, we checked the sports page on the back back of the sports section. We'd look at the major league batting leaders, and they'd show the top 10, and you'd look for someone on your team in bold type. And invariably, when you got to the bottom of the list, they weren't hitting 300 anymore. They were in the 290s or 280s. I remember one year in the American League, the number 10 hitter was at 279. It was pathetic. Well, we're almost there again. Hey, look, Matt Duffy, Tampa Bay Rays, 10th in the American League at 299. Baseball is on pace for its lowest batting average since 1972. Still, very much in a pitcher's era at the time. It was three years after they lowered the mound. For much of the season, there were more strikeouts than hits this year. Thanks to a big August, the Elias Sports Bureau reports there are now slightly more hits. So good job, good effort. For the season, batting average is 249. It was 244 in 1972. This reminds me of a story of how the game has changed. I was working at a Ventura radio station as a news anchor right out of college about 1980, and the Cincinnati Reds held an open tryout in nearby Thousand Oaks. That's where Sparky Anderson lived. I thought it'd be a good story to talk to some of the guys who were trying out, their hopes, their dreams, and I'd try out myself, go through the process, show people what it's like. Took a couple of hours, and afterwards the scout gave me my grades. In his southern drawl, he goes, well, you can run some, you can throw some, can't hit none. And I protested. I said, didn't you see the gapper I hit to right center? And he said, yeah, that was off a 70-mile-an-hour batting practice fastball. You ain't catching up to a major league fastball. Name of the game is put the ball in play. Well, that was then, and this is now. We're on a record pace once again this year for strikeouts. We could have 41,000. It was 32,884 in 2008. 
And we've had a record number of home runs in 2017. We're just down a touch this year. So that just confirms what we're all seeing, the three true outcomes, home runs, walks, strikeouts. And with some guys, it's not even that many uh, walks. It's, it's about not putting the ball in play. It's about putting it over the fence or putting it in the catcher's mitt. You see guys who had 230 with 25, 30 home runs, 175 Ks. It's no thing. It's like a league of Rob Deers. And I used to love Rob Deere. He was such an outlier. Not anymore. He just blend in. Along with the win, the batting average is devalued. And that's not totally without reason, but really the pendulum has swung in the other direction. You got bigger pitchers, you got bigger hitters, with a few exceptions like Jose Altuve, whose game I love. You've got defensive shifts, you've got more relievers who are fresh, more relievers who throw gas, although average velocity is kind of plateaued now, but they're throwing nasty off-speed stuff as well. They got 91 mile an hour sliders. They know about spin rate, and you've got the metrics that tell hitters about launch angle, and frankly, the metric that matters is home runs equal dollars. That's taken the shame out of the strikeout. It's a product of a data and dollar-driven game. Is that making it less watchable or just different? I mean, it's boring to watch your guys strike out a lot, especially if they're like the Giants and they don't hit home runs. It's fun to watch your pitcher set the other team down. But more Ks mean more pitches in the pitch count era, more pitching changes, more bullpenning, and that means longer games and a slower pace. I mean, team loves teams love big arms, and they don't mind that their hitters are striking out as, as long as they can put a few in the seats. I mean, wasn't it Crash Davis who told Nuke Lelouch and Bull Durham that strikeouts are boring and they're fascist? Well, if you believe a Tom Verducci Sports Illustrated article from a few months ago, the game is really fascist now. 1988, the average game was 2 hours and 45 minutes. 57 balls in play, average of 11 strikeouts. Now the game is averaging a little over 3 hours, 49 balls in play, an average of 19 strikeouts. I mean, we know the game goes in cycles. Some of this happens naturally. Some of it happens through rule changes. You can't be automatically against rule changes because of tradition, and that's part of the argument about the National League, the designated hitter, that might help things out as far as more action, although it would make games longer, but a lot of people want their tradition of the National League style of play. Well, hell, Connie Mack talked about a designated hitter in 1906, so it's not like they're reinventing the wheel here, but it's going to be part of the debate coming up, designated hitter in the National League. They've talked about lowering the mound. I thought that was a bad idea more arm injuries. They talked about uh, the outlaw of the shift, and that went over like a lead balloon. I think that hitters have to adjust, but it sometimes is hard when pitchers are pitching to the shift. Anyway, there's a lot of pearl clutching going on about baseball. A lot of the changes are things that are out of baseball's control. As far as demographics, as far as the way games are disseminated, it's still a great game. And local revenue and local uh, ratings are still pretty good, including for the Giants, even in an off year. So there's always something to talk about, and there will be a lot to talk about in the offseason as, as far as rule changes and about what's going on with the Giants. And so even though we're starting this podcast late in the season, I think it was going to the offseason as we head out to Arizona for fall league and spring training, uh, we're going to have plenty of content. I can guarantee you that. So I hope uh, you enjoyed the, the maiden voyage of Triple Sally Report. I don't think we sunk the boat. If we did, I'll go and get some flex tape, and we'll try again next week. Until then, so long from the pit.